What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our newest podcasts, articles, news and notes, any updates to the site, really any baseball content at all. Go ahead and check out EthosFantasyBB. And also, speaking of the site, go to SportsEthos.com. Check out everything we have there right from the source. We are going to talk about some signings over the last couple days slash maybe spanning about four or five days, I guess, going back to the, the farthest dating one. We're going to talk about some of the recent news around baseball, and we are going to start off with Colt Keith and his extension that he signed with the Detroit Tigers. We're going to mostly just talk about signings today and just get you guys caught up on some of the free agent news. So Colt Keith has signed a six-year, $28.643 million extension. Uh, it's kind of a specific number, but we're essentially talking about you know $4.5 million per year, something like that, for Colt Keith. I, I'm always, it's always tricky, right? These kind of deals from a real life point of view and people will have the opinion, oh, the player got screwed and he shouldn't have taken the discount. And you, you never know what's going to happen in your career. Are you going to pan out? Are you not going to pan out? It's, it's way too early to tell if someone like Colt Keith is going to be a great player, an okay player, a superstar, you know, as a prospect, he's looked very good. His minor league numbers are excellent. But that doesn't always translate to the big leagues. And, you know, being able to get that kind of life-changing money for Colt Keith, who was born in the year 2001, he is 22 years old, you know, you're securing yourself almost $30 million over the next six years. I think most of us in most professions, I can speak for myself by saying, yes, I would absolutely accept this deal. You don't know what your future is going to look like. You could tear your knee tomorrow. You could blow out your arm, whatever. There are so many unknowns at least you got some financial security. Even if you're leaving some money on the table, potentially, I think this is a fairly wise move. There are some deals, you know, there's the Scott Kingery deal, which looks terrible for Philadelphia. There's the Ozzie Albies deal, which looks awful for Ozzie Albies. You never know which side of these uh, deals you're going to come out on at the end of the day. So I have no problem with Colt Keith buying out some arbitration years, getting himself some assured money, and also probably guaranteeing himself a spot on the opening day roster. They're not going to be paying you $5 million to be sitting around in AAA, $4.5 million, whatever it is. This guarantees you're on the opening day roster pretty much, and it also pretty much guarantees you a spot in the starting lineup. Right now, he's slotted in as the sixth hole hitter according to Roster Resource on Fangraphs. They're projecting him to, as, you know, right, as of right now, and things will change, of course. We're still in January, but he's projected to start on opening day on second base and bat sixth. That's really good. Now, they are thinking that he'll probably serve as some kind of a platoon. There are a couple of right-handed bats who could offset him. Andy Abanez. Uh, Matt Veerling is more of an outfielder, but he can also play some infield as well. Um, so I don't know that Colt Keith is somebody that is going to get full-time playing time, but he should be at least starting the year in the major leagues and batting most of the, or starting most of the time against right-handed pitching. So that right there is a huge positive. If you've taken early shares of Colt Keith that were a little bit cheaper or whatever, hoping for the best, this is really good news on that front because barring an injury or terrible performance, you're probably looking at at least 110, 120 or so games. As long as he's able to be, you know, at least an average big league player, you're probably getting about 120 games or so. The various projection systems do disagree. Zips has him down at 122 games. Steamer has it at 94. ATC has him at 67. 
there is quite a bit of variance between the projections. Now, there's a chance that these systems haven't been fully updated. The signing just happened over the weekend. So maybe in a few days, we'll see ATC boost up the playing time a little bit. As of right now, though, if you take the higher end of these projections, and I'm, I'm in terms of games played, which I think is reasonable to do for Colt Keith, I think there's not really going to be anybody who's going to block him from playing regularly. I think that you're probably going to be looking at closer to 120 games than you are 60 games. So if you're looking at this projection of Zips or the Fangraphs depth charts, which have them at 122 and 118 games respectively, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about 17, 18 home runs, a couple of stolen bases, and a batting average somewhere in the 260 range. That's pretty damn good. You know, for somebody who is going to start the year off, I believe, with second base eligibility. I'm not sure how the NFBC has done it so far. He's actually a third. He has third base eligibility, but I think that he'll probably be the guy who is starting at second base for them fairly regularly. Zach McKinstry is projected to be the starting third baseman. It's not exactly... uh, Nolan Arenado or somebody over there at third so they could move him around but I do think that he will end up in most formats with second and third base eligibility you're getting a decent bit of pop right 17 18 home runs is pretty decent a couple of stolen bases the lineup is interesting as well to me because the lineup it's not great by any means I've heard some people say like this Tigers team looks really strong I'm not going that far but Parker Meadows looked pretty damn good last year. Healthy Riley Green and Kerry Carpenter, you know, around Spencer Torkelson there as well in the top four is is pretty solid. Mark Canna is nothing special, really. Neither is Javier Baez. But it's not a terrible lineup. It's definitely gotten better. And something I've mentioned a few times over the offseason, really over the last year, is that the ballpark is slightly more hitter-friendly than it used to be. It doesn't make a massive difference where it used to be probably the 28th or 29th best park uh, to hit, and it's now probably like 21 or 22, 23, like that kind of range. So it's a bit of an improvement. It's nothing that's, you know, massively changing. It's not like they're playing, you know, in those stadiums where I think it was Mexico or wherever they played that game this year where there was like 27 runs scored. It's not going to be that type of environment, but it's going to be a little more hitter-friendly. They made those changes. It makes it easier for left-handed power. Uh, I think part of the reason why they moved the wall in in right field was to help Riley Green a little bit. And, you know, one of the benefits of that will also be that Colt Keith probably gets a few more balls out of the yard at home. So I like him. I I like him overall. If you look at what he did in the minor leagues, good power, not a lot of speed, but usually hitting for a fairly high batting average where he stayed for decent amounts of time over different levels of the minors. Because I'm not going to look at where he played 18 games uh, at high A or little things like that. But when you actually get a decent sample size out of him in single A in 2021, 44 games, he batted 320. In 2022, at high A, 48 games, 301. 2023, in double A, he batted 325. And when he moved up to triple A, he batted 287. Good plate discipline. He's not a high strikeout percentage guy, like 22, 23% K rate with a good walk rate, almost always above 10% on the walk rate. I mean, he looks like a really, really good prospect. My potential problem and it's not a problem as of right now, but potentially we might get to a place of Colt Keith getting expensive. And he's not really expensive right now. Like, if you're looking at minimum pick, maximum pick, for all of draft season, he's gone as high as pick 211. That took place on... That was one of the drafts that happened right at the end of the season. If you're looking at the last month or so, he's generally going between pick 300 and 350. That That's usually where you are seeing Colt Keith get drafted. This is before we really have the news of the signing. I've talked about this a lot. Most of the drafts that are going on this time of year are slow drafts. 
they're not getting done over the course of two hours and that data is not getting uploaded right away to these various sites, specifically the NFBC. When it's a slow draft, these things can take two weeks. They can take a week and a half. Some of them take even like three plus weeks, the really infuriating ones. So we don't really know where Colt Keith is going to end up yet. Colt Keith is going to move up because that's just what happens when you sign a deal, when you are you know more assured of playing time than you were yesterday. People are going to bump you up a little bit. It's just a matter of where is he going to go. Now, there was a draft on January 28th where he went at pick 256. I believe this is the only finished draft that we have after he signed. Um, I think it was completed after he signed. And again, it's only the one draft. So how much can you really read into one draft? I mean, not a lot, really. And this draft took place yesterday, or the results were uploaded yesterday that they said, well, no, the draft took place yesterday, but I'm not sure if the draft finished yesterday and it started two weeks ago or if it was, uh, you know, I, I don't really know to that degree because they don't tell you specifically if this was a gladiator draft, if this was a draft champions when did it start? Was it a slow draft, a fast draft, whatever? But the one draft that I am seeing from yesterday that is fully uploaded, he went at pick 256, and then the one the day before was 317. So that's more expensive than what we've seen as the ADP over the last month, which is 362. If he's getting pushed up 100 picks, that's kind of a lot. You know, it's still to the point where even if he's going at pick 270 or something, it's not going to kill you if he doesn't pan out, but that's really expensive comparatively speaking to what we have seen from Colt Keith. And I think I would probably take a chance at that point if you need a little bit of power. You're getting power with a decent batting average and a decent on-base percentage. It's a, it's a pretty good profile, but you also got to remember the lineup isn't amazing. It's not an amazing lineup. He's likely to platoon batting sixth. It's not like he's going to be in a huge run in RBI spot. You're not getting speed from him, so... I can understand in certain builds, if you need a little bit of power, taking a chance on Colt Keith. I can't see him being a guy that I'm terribly interested in. He's not going to be on one of those, this is one of my guys this year list. He's he's good. I think he's probably a fine pick. But if the price gets up to, you know, if he's going to pick 250 regularly and that becomes the ADP, then I'm out. If he goes, you know, closer to pick 300 or so, then I don't really mind it, but at pick 250, that's you know round 17, round 18 of a 15-team league. You're still looking for kind of sure things at that point, or very close to sure things. With Colt Keith, we don't know what the hell he's going to look like yet at the major league level. We have zero clue. In fact, we are talking about somebody who has never had a single plate appearance at the major league level. So there is some risk. There's obviously some risk. I think the price, as long as it doesn't go up too much, I would be willing to take a chance on him. Let's talk about Alex Wood. Alex Wood is somebody that I've always liked a little bit more, I think, than consensus. I've been a big Alex Wood guy for several years. This past season was dreadful. Uh, You know, he wasn't healthy. He was coming out of the pen a lot for really the first time in his career. He'd made a couple of appearances out of the pen. Uh, You know, if you go way back to his St. Louis, or excuse me, to his Atlanta days, not St. Louis, um, way back early in his career, he came out of the pen a little bit few times for the Dodgers, but you know, 202 starts out of 269 career appearances. He is mostly a starter, but last year we saw him come out of the pen 17 times. He wasn't healthy, only threw 97 innings, and it wasn't a great season results-wise either. He had a 433 ERA. His strikeouts 
came way down to 17%, and his walks went back to 9.8%, which is something we haven't really seen from him. We've seen him touch 8.3. We saw him get to 9.2% over the course of 2020, but that was you know very small sample size, especially for him. It wasn't even a full 2020. So it was a very concerning 2023 for Alex Wood. He signs with the Oakland A's. They haven't announced the terms or anything to do with the contract. They just said that he signed a deal with the Oakland Athletics. I believe it was a one-year contract. I like the ballpark he's going to be pitching in. I just don't know what version of Alex Wood we are going to see at this point. Uh, Last year was very, very concerning. If you had him, he was not a good fantasy asset. He was terrible, in fact. A new start always does give you... A little bit of hope when someone goes and switches teams, especially when it's going to a, a you know very pitcher-friendly ballpark. I'm more interested. We also have to look at the fact that there's kind of a lot of injuries in Alex Wood's past. This past season, it was the back and the hamstring. The year before, it was the shoulder. We have previous back and shoulder stuff. So he's not exactly a guy with a clean bill of health. He's not the youngest guy in the world anymore. He's just turned 33 years old a couple weeks ago. So I don't love him. I definitely don't love Alex Wood. The various projection systems seem to think that he'll bounce back, that the strikeout rate will get up closer to 20, if not higher than 20%. The walks will come down. They think the ERA will be roughly the same. It was 4-3 last year. Those different systems have him going for 4-4-5, 4 There's not a lot to really get excited about with Alex Wood. As much as I've been a fan of him in years past, I just don't know what you're getting at this point. Is it going to be 120 innings? Is it going to be 170 innings? What are those innings even going to look like? Is he going to start more? Is he going to come out of the pen more? I'd like to think that Oakland is you know, not in a position where they can put Alex Wood in the pen because they are just not exactly flush for starters. I just am not really that excited about it one way or the other. His price is cheap enough that if you do believe in him and you want to take a chance, then you can go for it by all, by all means. 679 is the tag, and he's kind of at the point where it's like the last four picks, last five picks of a draft and hold. Do you want to take a chance on Alex Wood? You can, and you can try and hope that he is able to give you 120 innings or something like that. And I don't mind taking that type of player in the last few rounds, you know, a Jose Urquidy type who is not that great, but he might be able to eat some innings for you. But I I feel like the, the better play in this spot most of the time is to shoot for the upside play in the last couple rounds, taking a prospect who is very close to debuting or somebody who maybe got a cup of coffee last year, a post-hype guy, you know, a Jose Miranda type or whoever. I think Miranda's going a little bit earlier than this, but regardless, I don't know that I want to use a roster spot on Alex Wood in a draft champions where he's going to be on my team the whole year. And, you know, I say a draft champions because he's not getting drafted in the 12-team league. He's not getting drafted in the standard 10 or a 15 or whatever number you want to put on it outside of maybe a 30-team league. Alex Wood's not getting drafted. So he's kind of only in draft and hold territory based on where his, his draft price is. And I don't know that I want him on my team the whole year. I think that I want somebody who's a little more certain in terms of the innings I'm going to get, in terms of the team context. There's a lot to not like. There's a chance that he's able to give you decent value is probably the best pitcher in Oakland, but it's it's not a great situation for real life or for fantasy, in my opinion. It's a decent deal for the A's, I guess, but they're just, I don't know. It's hard to even analyze what the hell the A's are doing because it doesn't even matter. Alex Wood, it, it, like they could sign literally tomorrow. They can go get Snell, Bellinger, all the remaining free agents, it wouldn't matter. So this is kind of just a guy to eat innings. I think he'll start. As long as he's healthy, you should get 120 okay innings. 
and I guess from that point of view, you can you can argue that like, yeah, you might as well take a shot there. There's just very limited upside with Alex Wood, especially after what we saw last year with the strikeouts completely going away to the point where he was actually like a net negative in strikeouts. There's a lot to not like. So I think generally speaking, I'm going to be out on Alex Wood uh, for 2024. Let's talk a little bit about a very exciting one here. Uh, Hector Norris going to the Cubs. Now, I, I don't mean to, to take a shot there. I just it, This offseason has been just incredibly boring. Uh, I know people take their time, and we've touched on this a few weeks ago. You know, Take your time, figure out which city you're going to sign in, what's best for your family and you. It's for like five months at this point. Like, How do you not know? How do you not have an idea of where you want to go, and how do you not get that figured out? Most of these big-name guys, I don't know. But we're here talking about Hector Norris because these other guys have not signed. We might have mentioned him either way, but... You know, I'm catching up on all the signings, and I'm looking over the last week. It's like, is Hector Norris the third biggest signing of the last week? Like, that's that's not great. But here we are. He signed with the Cubs. Uh, it was a one-year, $9 million deal. There's a club option for 2025. And it converts to a player option if he is able to appear in 60 games. So if Norris is out there, he's healthy, he's appearing in 60 games, which is what he's done each of the last four full seasons the last time he didn't get there in a full season was 2018. He had 53 games. So it's almost a guarantee that this is going to convert for Hector Norris. You also got the fact that he's almost 35. He'll be 35 uh, pretty early into next year. So he's not the youngest guy in the world. But I think it's a pretty good signing for the Cubbies. Norris was, on the surface, really good last year. And he was one of those players, like he is one of the poster boys for, look at the advanced stats because... What happened on the surface was not realistic. It's not achievable. Again, I don't think. He had a 171 ERA, but that went along with a 445 XFIP, a 383 FIP. I know people have different opinions on the different metrics, but his Sierra was 389. It was two full runs above, more than two full runs above his ERA. He's not going to be a sub-2 ERA guy again. If you look at the projections, it's anywhere from 37 to about 410, what he's projected for. The strikeouts and walks are... You know, pretty standard for a reliever. You're looking at a high 20s percentage in strikeouts. He's occasionally been over 30. In fact, for his career, he's 30.1%. The walks were a big issue for him last year, though. He's somebody who has bounced around walk percentage-wise always for his career. It's it's not really a stable line you can draw for Hector Norris's walk rate. 8.7% to 12.6 to 10.3, down to 6.5, up to 11.4. I'd be lying if I told you I knew what to expect from Hector Norris on the walk rate side. But for his credit, he's not somebody who gives up a lot of base hits. The opposing batting averages the last three years are 201, 204, and 172. And those have come with whips of 1.17, 1.01, and 1.05. Last year was a lucky year. He stranded more than 90% of base runners. He had a 219 BABIP. That is not going to happen again. But I think that he's a reasonably good asset for the Cubs to have at the back end of their bullpen. And right now, he is currently slotted in as the setup man, as the number two arm in that bullpen behind Albert Alzale. If anything happens to Alzale, whether it's injury or performance isn't quite what they're hoping for, then I think Hector Norris would be the guy that is turned to. Not a hell of a lot of options still left on the market. They're not going to sign anybody else that would have closing experience or that kind of level of talent. Not to say that Norris is amazing, but he does have experience as a closer, and he can fill in that role uh, pretty easily if it if he is needed to. So I think that he actually is a great pick, Hector Norris, right now. I don't think that he's somebody that you'd rely on for a hell of a lot of, um, you know, you're not going to get great ratios, but he's somebody that 
I think there's a good chance you are able to see him come away with 10 saves this year with good strikeouts. He'll throw in a couple of wins. The reason I'm really interested right now is because the price for him is dirt cheap. 554. At 554, you know, 15 team league, that's like round 37. I don't have any problem with him there. Even though he did overperform his metrics last year, he's not going to be a sub two ERA guy. If he's giving me like a three seven or a three eight ERA, he's giving me ten. I think probably ten saves is realistic. The projections have him down for six. Projections tend to shoot for more of a middle ground, try to be more conservative with their numbers. I could easily see him getting to ten saves while still giving you that good strikeout rate, pitching for a decent team. If anything happens to Alzale, then it would be Norris. I'm very confident that he's the guy they would turn to. And, you know, I don't expect it to happen, but you might end up getting 20-plus saves out of Hector Norris from pick 550 beyond. Like, he's not going to be somebody that gets a lot of helium. He didn't go to a place that is lacking a closer altogether. They do have a guy that they trust in Alzale. But I think Norris is a really good backup plan for you guys and for the Cubs themselves if something were to happen with Alzale, whether he's not able to repeat this performance that we saw last year, if he gets hurt, whatever it is, because he's good. But there's not a huge track record of him as a closer. We have one season of him as the closer. He had 22 saves, 64 innings. It's not a hell of a lot to build off of. So if there is something there um, that we don't like or that they don't like, then Hector Norris could be somebody they turn to. And I think given the price right now, he makes a really solid choice in a draft champion around pick or around 37, 38. There's no downside at that point, in my opinion, in taking Hector Norris. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. We are going to conclude this exciting players episode by talking a little bit about Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier, I don't think that he's going to have a big fantasy impact. Do not get me wrong. But I don't think that we can say that he's going to have no impact either. He signed with Kansas City. And as of right now, if you look at roster resource, he's projected as a bench bat. But if we just look at what Adam Fraser's done the last several years, we know he's a versatile player. He can play multiple positions in the field. And he's also been a regular staple of many different major league lineups for pretty much his whole career. If you look at the last three seasons, 155 games, 156 games, 141 games. This past season, outside of 2021, which the first half of 2021 for him was really good. The second half was terrible. This year was kind of the best fantasy year for him. I mean, the batting average was really good in 2021, but he got 13 homers and 11 steals this year with 60 ribbies and 59 RBI. Only struck out 15% of the time, walking at a league average rate of 7%. He's a pretty decent player. I know it doesn't come off that way because it's Adam Frazier and he's about the least exciting player you can think of, but I mean, he's been somewhat of an asset these last couple of years. I sound stupid saying it. I understand it. As it comes out of my mouth, I'm thinking, are you sure you want to go to bat for Adam Frazier? But he's playing for a team that does not have a hell of a lot of certainty. I don't think Kansas City really knows what the hell they're doing from a number of different point of views. And people say, like, the Royals, and people have used the same kind of argument that they use with the Tigers, that the Royals are a good team and et cetera, et cetera. 
I don't see it yet. I, I think that they're a couple years away from making any noise, really. You got Michael Massey, Michael Garcia, who I don't know if they're going to get full-time playing time. Like, is Michael Massey going to get the role over Adam Frazier on a regular basis? Should he get the role over Adam Frazier on a regular basis? I don't I don't know that he should. Um, and I'm not sure that that's set in stone at this point, where you can get Adam Frazier for pretty much nothing. No one is interested in him. And again, I'm not saying, like, this is a big sleeper this year, Adam Frazier, but... For where he's going, which as of right now is pick 660, I mean, he's going 300 picks behind Michael Massey. I think that his fantasy game is just as good, if not a little bit better than what Massey's going to give you. He, we know that he has a lot more experience. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something here, but if you just look at what Massey does, maybe a little bit more power, a little bit less speed, they're pretty close in terms of what like you'd get overall from them, probably. Um, I don't think that there should be a 300-pick difference there. I don't think that Adam Frazier is going to be somebody that only gets into, what is it that they're projecting from him, like 80-some-odd games. I just don't see him as a part-time player. I think that the Royals are going to need him, and the different systems do vary a little bit. Zips has him for 130. Um, ATC has him for 91. Steamer for 99. Um, the depth charts from Fangraphs have him for 70. So there's not a lot of agreement there in terms of the games played for Adam Frazier, but I do think... He's somebody that likely gets a, a fairly regular role. Not that he's going to blow you away, but I think he'll be pretty decent. Um, I think that he's somebody that can give you probably 10 homers and 10 steals, and I think the batting average will be somewhere in the 250 range. And at pick 700, that's incredible. Like, you're not getting really anything at that point. Most of those players are never touching your starting lineup. Adam Frazier, there's a decent chance that there's a week or two during the season where you need to fill a spot. You need to fill a spot, and Adam Frazier is somebody where, even though he's not great, he plays second base, he's got second base eligibility, and maybe even more, depending on where you play. Um, I think Adam Frazier, did he get enough games in the outfield last year to keep eligibility? He played seven in right and, and three in left. So I think on Yahoo and some of those shallower formats, he will. That doesn't help us for this particular conversation, but... I think even on fan tracks, if you're playing a draft and hold on fan tracks, he's not going to be expensive. He should have second and outfield eligibility, and I think playing time is going to be there. So honestly, I don't have any problem with taking around 44 Adam Frazier. I, I think that it's honestly a decent pick. Him and Hector Norris may end up, and you know, as much as I was slandering them throughout this show, they may end up being kind of interesting assets uh, for fantasy players this year in draft and hold league. So. Again, they're not big targets. I'm not saying go out and get these guys at all costs, but if they fall to you in the six, seven hundreds, I think there's some some decent interest there. Um, that'll do it for us, though. I really appreciate everybody hanging out here on this Monday. If you like what we do, leave us a rating and review if you have not done so yet. They really, really help to grow the show, helps us to be seen by more people, helps out the algorithm, however it does work. Uh, check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Check out sportsethos.com and Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where you get all of our content, baseball and otherwise. But guys, we will see you again tomorrow. Until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers.